You can't ride in my little red wagon. You can't ride in my little red wagon. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Chugga, 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 chugga. Suck it, verse, suck it, verse. A whole lot louder and a whole lot. What's up, y'all? This is Nick Bartlett. I'm a broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer over at OregonSportsNews.com. And I've had over 50 articles featured in the Seattle Post-Intelliger. And this is going to be a Sports Pack 12 original, The Nick Bartlett Show. So this is going to be a run-of-the-mill sports show talking about Pac-12, hot topics of the week. And one thing I want to stress is that I'm not much different than you guys. Seriously, I work a day job. My opinion is no more valuable than yours. And I'm just grateful for your viewership, your listenership. And without further ado, let's get straight to some Pac-12 action. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Looks like we have Pac-12 football back, so today I'm going to talk about Albanian field hockey. <laughs> just, just kidding, guys. Just kidding. So for today's show, I'm going to break down each major conference's respective schedule, take a deep dive into how the relationship between the Pac-12 and Quidel Corporation came to be, and ran about Anthony Lynn's comments about quarterback Justin Herbert last week. Oh yeah, oh oh yeah. And as always, we'll have Bartlett random topic of the day, but you'll have to stick around for that. I'm thinking it'll be pretty solid, and that's your hint, ladies and gentlemen. But seriously, with the return of Pac-12 football, we got a heck of a lot to talk about, so let's get straight to it. So here's a quick recap of what happened over the past week. And seriously, big breaking news. I, for some reason, haven't heard about it, obviously. I'm assuming you have. So here's a quick synopsis. The Pac-12, which had postponed its season in August, had announced they'll play a seven-game season beginning on November 6th. Obviously, I'm talking about football. Now that the Pac-12 has returned to the field, all five power conferences are back on with different lengths, schedules, and rules for the upcoming year. And so what I'm going to do here now is I'm actually going to take a quick synopsis of, wow, that's tricky to say. I'm going to take a quick synopsis of each respective power conference and their schedule and plan for the upcoming season. So we're going to start with first, how many games will each team play? And obviously, since this is a Pac-12 show, we're going to start with the Conference of Champions and work our way through the power conferences from there. So our conference is playing the least amount of games with the aforementioned seven. Each team will play six division games and a crossover game as well. The Pac-12 will have no open weeks in their schedule. So seven games, six division games, and a crossover game. Hopping over to our Rose Bowl counterpart and the Big Ten schedule, they'll also play eight, or excuse me, they'll play eight games in total, six division games, and two crossover games. Their schedule will also have no open weeks. The other big conference will be playing a Big Ten. <laughs> tricky, tricky, tricky. The other big conference here talking about the Big 12. They'll be having a 10-game slate, which features nine conference games and one non-conference game. There'll be no divisions this year. And now hopping over to the most notable conference in college football, we're going to talk about the SEC. The Real Conference of Football Champions is playing a 10-game conference-only season with six division games and four crossovers. And that only leaves us with one power conference left. And that, of course, is the ACC, who's playing the biggest schedule at 11 games. So they'll be playing 10 conference games and one non-conference game with no divisions. Obviously, conferences with the longer seasons will probably have an easier time rescheduling games if necessary. I think that's pretty important. 
obviously we know what's going on in the world, so that's one thing to consider as well. But just for the Pac-12 has said, and you already know it, but seven-game season started November 6th, and that's really the breaking news of the week. Hopping back kind of into the synopsis here, we're going to look at the staggered start dates of the different conferences. Definitely new to this season. <laughs> Never seen anything like this before, but seriously, just wow. As you already know, though, the ACC and Big 12 started their seasons on September 12th. The SEC is opening their season this past weekend, so you guys will hear this on Sunday. They opened their season yesterday, and the Big 10 on October 24th. And of course, the aforementioned Pac-12 starting date of November 6th. And it should really be interesting to see how the College Football Selection Committee weighs the amount of games played in regards to the college football playoff. You know, will the teams with a kind of playing seven games in the Pac-12, will they be considered in the same light as ACC school, obviously playing the 11-game schedule? So that's something very important to consider. And specifically for the Pac-12, for the Pac-12 again, playing just the least amount of games, I personally think a team like Oregon would need to win every matchup to be realistically considered for the college football playoff. But that's just my take. Obviously, we'll see what the voters do and how the season plays out. There's obviously USC, Washington, some other talented teams in conference as well. So the last kind of thing to consider here in terms of logistics and schedule is when will the regular season end? So as it stands today, the Big 12 is scheduled to play its championship game on December 12th, the Pac-12 on December 18th, and the ACC, Big 10, and SEC will all play on the 19th. Damn, y'all. Sounds like a good day for a couple beers. Real good day. Got three championship games on the 19th. So, December 19th, crack one. And the college football selection show is scheduled a day later on the 20th. So, that's really going to be the rundown for the 2019 campaign. Wow. Just definitely a season unlike any other. But, hey, it's Pac-12 in it now. So, should be a lot of fun to see how it unfolds. And I just want to say again, kind of quick points to remember here. If we're going to skip the kind of other conferences, let's be honest, we're going to talk about the Pac-12. One thing you're really going to want to know here again is that the Pac-12 championship is going to be on December 18th. So that's kind of the last thing to consider along with the seven-game slate and the November 6th starting day. So we're going to hop into our next topic today, which is going to be how the Pac-12 and Quidel Corporation formed a relationship. And it really is time to show Quidel some love because without them... The Pac-12 football season probably would have not happened, and that could probably be swayed in the definitely direction. So, obviously, the Pac-12's connection with Quiddell Corporation proved a vital and determining factor in getting the season underway and started. However, how did this relationship form? I think a lot of people haven't really considered that element. They just know, oh, football is back, football is back. But how did this partnership and how did Quiddell get us to this point? They deserve a lot of respect. And... I really want to make sure to analyze or not analyze. I really want to make sure to state that this is a John Wilner article that I researched and I'm putting into my own words, but all the credit, if anything does sound kind of parallel or, or similar, all credit goes to John Wilner. Seriously wrote a great article last week, explained the connection and how it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So also, 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 also kind of some cool stuff in terms of how it'll help society larger. Maybe cool my jets from last week's rant. Probably not, but I really did find this article to be really interesting. So starting from the top here, essentially when Wilner was discussing the testing with his wife, she brought up a great point wondering why the tests weren't going to professors and other essential workers, obviously hospital workers, things like that. This drove him to get clarification in a discussion with Quiddell CEO, Doug Bryant. So in this conversation here, Bryant told Wilner that he worried a lot about perception. Again, Doug Bryant, Bryant is the CEO of Quiddell. 
And he's worried a lot about the perception. Very understandable. So to the best of my understanding, he was concerned that his company may face scrutiny for giving his tests to college athletic departments instead of people who could likely be deemed essential workers. And he also added in the following is a direct quote. I've said all along that our company would do the right thing. And so the thing that may surprise a lot of people here is that the partnership with Quiddell will probably help them just as much as the Pac-12. And I guess I can't speak for all of you guys, but it surprised me at the least. I was really surprised. I thought this was just going to be obviously a monetary gain for Quiddell, but I didn't really realize the big time logistics that are really helping this, the fields of data, the data points. So that's something I'm going to talk into or dive into a little bit more detail in a second here. But again, all this kind of credit goes to John Wilner. I really want to reiterate that. And so hopping into another quote, and this quote again is from Bryant. He said, Larry and the universities needed our test and we needed their data. So this is how the whole relationship started. And again, we'll dive kind of into the co-symbiotic relationship here in a second. So hopping into first things first here, because I was a little bit, that's a little wordy. I heard myself rambling there. So let me, let me break it down real simple. Essentially, I'm going to talk about the relationship now and how it formed. And then in about a minute or two here, I'm going to talk about how it's kind of a co-symbiotic relationship. So starting first thing first, the University of Arizona's biorepository school, which is affiliated with the health sciences department, knew about the antigen test in the spring and a contract was actually reached. The biorepository, whatever that means, I have no idea what that means, but they perform 25,000 tests from a wide variety of people on campus like students and professors which is how other people in the Pac-12 got familiar with Quiddell. And doctors Doug Ackerman from Oregon State and Kim Harmon from UW reached out to the corporation and conversations essentially began. And before the partnership with the conference, Quiddell was primarily shipping their tests to first responders and nursing homes, according to Bryant. And they clearly already had a foot in the marketplace. It's pretty obvious with their big time sales, but they really wanted to further its data, which led them to kids, and that was a very fancy, long-winded way of saying they wanted to help kids. So this led to a relationship with a private school in which weekly tests were conducted. And I think you guys can start to see how we're trending in the right direction now, from senior homes, essential workers, now to a private school. So we're starting to trend in the right direction. So along with the partnership with that crazy named UA Health and Sciences School, Jeff Hunt, a Texas-based crisis manager and brand strategy expert, may have been a contributor to helping form a relationship with the two parties. Obviously, Quiddell is also in discussions with Pactol medical personnel. And Hunt is important to note because he's been a longtime friend of Larry Scott and has provided PR advice for the Pac-12 for over a decade. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Jesus, guys. We're getting a little ticky-tack here. We are getting a little ticky-tack here. Even, even I'm starting to lose interest now. So wrapping this portion up, on August 29th, Larry Scott was connected with the corporation and the process was underway. And after meetings that same week between the two parties and a trip down to San Diego where Scott went and met Bryant, the conference has something brewing in the pot, as they like to say. And by Thursday of that same week, that same week, a meeting between Pac-12 presidents, chancellors approved the partnership. So that's how the initial agreement went down. However, at that time, and keep in mind, this is a big thing to keep in mind. All this happened the week of August 29th. Everything I just said above happened the week of August 29th, but Pactol did not believe that I have access to these tests until November, which obviously helps explain the cancellation of the season. So that's how the partnership initially got underway. And obviously things are subject to change as we all know now that Pactol football will take place, but that's how this first thing initially went down. 
how the relationship formed. And again, all this happened the week of August 29th. So those are kind of the beginnings of the relationship. But here's where my mind gets put to ease. I think y'all heard my rant last week about how I feel about football. And I really like what Quidel and the Pac-12 are doing here. So the Quidel Corporation has a lot of gain from this partnership. And as I stated earlier, more than just the obvious monetary gains, for their company to provide the most effective product for society as a whole, they need lots of data, lots and lots of data. And obviously they accumulated data from senior homes and first responders, but these fields of data primarily provided information on symptomatic cases and adults. But what they didn't have, so the information they didn't have was information on asymptomatic young adults. So people get sick and don't show symptoms. In other words, healthy young college athletes who may not feel the effects of the illness. Y'all starting to see where we're going? Y'all get it now? Y'all get it now? So the tests provide the Pac-12, or excuse me, the tests that were provided to the Pac-12 have been set to clinical mode, which will allow results to be immediately transferred to Quidel's cloud, allowing them to track data in real time. This data could seriously prove vital in making their tests more effective, more more effective, did I just swear, uh, more effective, which could prove a huge benefit to society, much bigger than the football field. And obviously, if you guys didn't know this, research in college kind of go hand in hand, just a little bit, just a little, little, little bit. So this is going to be the first daily testing study on adults that Quidel has undertaken in. So that's the long gist, the long rundown. Again, the relationship formed back in August. We got some UW professors. We got Mr. Hunt, I believe his name was. And again, that's just kind of the cool little backstory how this all happened. I mean, a lot of love to Quiddell Corporation. They're helping people. And for the sake of this realm, they're playing a proving factor. I want to say pretty much the main determining factor in what's getting back to all football back on the field. So very, very important. I thought this was very interesting stuff. And I just really think it's cool that the Pac-12 and its respective athletes have a chance to help stop spread the coronavirus. Obviously, you guys, obviously, Quiddell is handling the forefront of the research but every science project needs a field of data and the Pac-12 athletes are serving that role. So again, the Pac-12 conference being forward thinkers, we've a lot of African-American coaches in conference and just a lot of that's kind of random tangent. But again, the Pac-12 is being forward thinkers and I think it's really cool. Again, helping society in large while getting football back on the field. I'm okay with that. I approve that. Nick Barlett approves this message. So guys, that is the 13 minute, 14 minute rundown. Get you some hearty information and now I'm feeling a rant, guys. I am feeling a rant, guys. That was enough of the deep stuff, dude. My doogie, dude. All right, guys. So time for old Barty Barty to rant. Don't worry, guys. I'm going to keep it short this week. And definitely won't be as intense as last week if y'all were tuning in. I know you were. You're back. You're back for more, baby. So the next thing we're going to talk about here, as I mentioned at the top, I think I mentioned at the top, is going to be... Essentially, the comments that Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn made last week about former Oregon standout Justin Herbert. And again, this was after last week's Chargers game. So for those of you who need a touch-up, Herbert had a phenomenal first game at Signal Caller, eclipsing 300 yards to the air and throwing for one touchdown, adding another one on the ground. Great game all around. However, after the game, Lynn had some mixed things to say about the rookie quarterback. And guys, I know this happened a week ago. My show had already been published, and I really wanted to give my take on this issue. As a youth basketball coach, I feel like I may have some insight on this. Obviously, I'm not an NFL coach. Maybe, yeah, it could happen. Could happen. That may not be my field. But I really did want to give my take on this issue. But before I dive into the negative, because there are damn sure going to be some negatives here, 
Let's start with the positive. Coach had some good things to say about Herbert, including the following quote. So this is from Lynn, direct quote here. The young man stepped up, and I thought he played well under the circumstances. He also added, I thought he stepped up when we needed him to and gave us a chance. But here's where it gets interesting and definitely a little interesting. Lynn then said, if Tyrod's not available, I think we can win with him. But there's a lot you don't know. There's a lot that we didn't get done with Justin on the field. So from that point, okay, you know, still kind of positive. Still a little bit positive. But here's where it gets downright cold, man. Just freaking cold. What's up with you, Lynn? He goes, he's a backup for a reason. He's a rookie. And there's a lot that he needs to learn about the game. So, wow. Excuse me. Uh, there's a lot he needs to learn about this game. It's going to be the direct quote. So, again, though, he said he's a backup for a reason. He's a rookie. And there's a lot that he needs to learn about this game. Wow. That, that way to boost your rookie quarterback up, fam. Hey, Lynn. And uh, he's already been crucified in the national media. I'm going to give my own take on it. And I really do respect what I think he was trying to do in terms of protecting his starting quarterback and Tyrod Taylor. But there's probably a better way he could have handled it. And so I'm not here in my rant to debate who should be the starter. I think Herbert's 30 yards speak for itself. Tyrod Taylor obviously got injured. So now it's looking like Herbert's job no matter what. But that's not what I'm here to do is debate the merits of starter and Lynn's decision to start or bench Herbert or play Tyrod Taylor or not. That, that's not the point of this rant. I'm purely talking about the way he handled himself as a head coach. That is where I'm coming from with this angle. And so a while back, I was reading a John Wooden's mentorship book. I don't remember the exact title, but you know, John Wooden, if you don't know who he is, leave this podcast now, please. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, y'all. But he was talking about how a good leader, it doesn't matter what field, sports, business, whatever, you need to criticize like in private, behind closed doors, or maybe for a few guys, if they give you like word of mouth, you let them know, they let you know that this is how they like to be handled. You can do it in front of the team in closed doors. So most cases for most individuals, if you're going to criticize them, do it one-on-one. Just tell them, let them know it's good. Let them know where they need to improve. Or again, for a very, very select few guys who may need that kind of added push and maybe a little bump up in front of the team a bump up, but you guys get what I'm saying here. So he didn't do that. He threw him to the press. He threw him to the freaking press. A rookie? He, he had a good game. He had a good game. And yeah, there probably are some things that Herbert can improve on at the NFL. There's probably things that most rookie quarterbacks can improve on in the NFL. But to say he's a backup for a reason. He's a rookie. What? What's up with that? That, that? That's not cool. That's not cool at all. Imagine if the general manager talks to him about Lynn with his one playoff appearance as a head coach, one playoff appearance, and an absolutely astonishing 5-11 record last year. Oh, baby, you you burned up the bar with that 5-11 record and one playoff appearance. Not like Phillip Rivers, a bad quarterback, couldn't get it done. Anyways, Talking about Lynn here, imagine if the general manager came out and said this about Lynn. Now, obviously it's a different situation, but just just to kind of a little point of reference here. The general manager comes out and goes, well, you know, Anthony Lynn's only been our head coach for under five seasons. Obviously, he's still young. There's some things he can improve on. There's a lot you don't know about him besides for the 5-11 record. You know, 
he's not quite a Bill Belichick. We believe he's the guy of the future. But right now, we're just not quite seeing it. Lynn, you know, just, you had one playoff win. That was cute. You know, that was pretty cute. But really, you're just not a great one. And we don't see it yet. Okay. The great one part was probably pushing a little bit. But you guys get what I'm saying here. That's just not cool. I do not understand why Lynn did that. And again, I'm not here to debate the merits of Herbert's skill in the field. He is one NFL start. And for all the pundits and analysts, are going to one star, he's the future. Get the, oh, almost sore. Get the heck out of here with that crap. He's played one game. We don't know shit about him yet. Okay, I did swear. We don't know shit about him, guys. He's played one game in the NFL. He could be great, could be bad. We don't know. But again, for Lynn to just criticize him in public, that's not a good look. That's not a good coach. That's not a good leader. That's how I feel. You want to praise in public and criticize in private. It's pretty simple. And I would think that an NFL head coach would know that by now. So that's my take on it. Justin Herbert, I hope you prove him wrong and come out and tear it up the rest of the week. Maybe there's a lot you don't know, Lynn. Maybe Herbert's rookie year this year. So that's kind of my little spiel on that. And guys, we're getting to the end of the show. And oh baby, you know what time it is. Bartlett's random topic of the day. And what was our hint at the beginning of the show today? I think I said something solid. Y'all got to guess? <laughs> so, random topic of the day. Something solid. I'm talking about a solid, classic, all-American food. Probably not what you're thinking. Not talking about bacon. I am talking about oatmeal. Oh, yes. A big, nice bowl of oatmeal, guys. You know how many things you can throw in a bowl of oatmeal? You want like a nice dessert, you can throw some chocolate chips in there. You can throw some Kahlua in there, get faded off it. I, I, I don't know about that. But seriously, guys, you can throw some peanut butter in there, some almond butter in there. You can throw chia seeds. You got a little hard-boiled eggs on the side. You got a little bacon on the side of oatmeal. Don't forget about the bacon, bacon on the side. Ba- <laughs> I'm talking about bacon. Oatmeal is solid. It's efficient. It's sturdy. It's got protein. Man, I love me a good bowl of oatmeal. You can throw some honey, a little, little sweet, a little sweetening up, a little honey, a little cinnamon. Muy prestio, muy prestio. So I'm not going to talk about oatmeal that much longer. Just, hey, I love me a good bowl of oatmeal, man. There ain't nothing wrong with a good bowl of oatmeal. But guys, that's about it for oatmeal. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. No notes on the oatmeal section. I wrote oatmeal or rubber bands. So I think I was so... I'm guessing I went with oatmeal. So um, in conclusion, guys, obviously the most important news of the week is that Pac-12 football is going to have a seven-game season kicking off on November 6th. Pac-12 football is back and live in action on November 6th. The Pac-12 and Quiddell Corporation have a mutually beneficial relationship where the Pac-12 can play football and Quiddell can gather data points to help make their tests more efficient, which could really prove very valuable tool for helping society at large. So good work, Pac-12. Good work, Quiddell Corporation. I applaud you both. I am very happy to hear this. And head coaches should always compliment in public and criticize in private. <coughs> Anthony Lynn. <coughs> you guys get it. And uh, your boy loves a damn good bowl of oatmeal. I love me some oatmeal. So thanks for tuning in as always, guys. Everyone stay out safe 
Everyone stay out safe out there. What's that? Thanks for tuning in, guys. Everyone stay safe out there. I'm off to watch Game 5, Laker versus Nugget in about 37 minutes now. Oh, yeah. And as always, Cheetos and Tuna.